I'm so excited for the Ding Dong RPG. Welcome to Chapel Belcher, Stats Focus podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And we're talking about football today, as we tend to do. We're talking about the game that happened this past weekend against the Tennessee Volunteers over in Neyland Stadium. Uh, I hope that everyone had a lovely weekend. It ended lovely. It was a little cold, a little warm, a little bit of everything. But you know what? came out with a win. Yeah. It's still Sunday. Feels good. Going into the new week. Feeling refreshed, rejuvenated, et cetera, et cetera. Forty-one seventeen uh, against know. one of your historical rivals would do that for you. Not too bad. Not yeah, too not bad too at bad all. all. How was your experience, Nathan? Do you want to talk a little bit about? Yeah, what the let's heck talk you about our experiences. How it, how it went? Well, first, I want to acknowledge my my beautiful red hair king co-host, who I got to watch the, mm. this game with. Uh, he came over to my house. That is Justin and his beautiful wife Anna. Me. And that was. A very good experience because whenever I watch the game at home and it's just me and my wife, we just spiral because I get really anxious and I clam up and then she gets anxious because I'm anxious. And Justin and Anna were just such beautiful presences in our home. And they made us, uh, Anna made us, I believe she called them fall, what were they, fall mimosas? They were very good. Fall mimosas, yeah. Yeah. It was just uh, a little bit of champagne and apple cider and then it was rimmed with all of the, the pie spices that you would want. It was fantastic. Yeah, so apple garnish. It was so good to see my beautiful red-haired king. I, I, I'll tell you, uh, this was the. I think this is the best game watching experience as, like, when I was at home watching a Georgia game, not in red coats that I've ever had. Uh, I have not always had the best adaptive co- coping strategies with watching Georgia football from home, and it was interesting to be around someone who I know is as big a fan of me, who wasn't like doubled over, like throwing up into his mouth the entire time it was very powerful see i need i have i had a positive role model having justin there uh i you know it was weird to me we could talk more about this like i didn't really ever feel any existential dread about this game you know in the first half when we went down in the first quarter there was a lot of stuff on twitter that was like we're gonna lose this game i don't know why i didn't think that i just didn't think that we just were more talented than them and so it was just mm-hmm. kind of a weird experience. Like I was at home instead of at the game. This is the first UT game I've missed in a while because I hate them a lot and I like to see them lose. But uh, it was just sort of surreal. I was like, who is this? Who is this man I've become where I'm not, I don't feel like we're <laughs> going to lose every time they do anything positive. I, I don't know. I, I have, just, a lo- yeah. I would say I have like a Sisyphusian uh, or even maybe like, uh, what's what's the word? Who's like the 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 highest point of hubris in the, in mythology. Uh, I guess an Icarus. Oh, I have an Icarus, Icarus level. Of yeah. co- I have an Icarus level of confidence about this team right now. I will say one thing that's point important to note is that, uh, my wife, Samantha and I lived in Knoxville oh, for a couple of years, my wife. And for various <laughs> reasons, Samantha has had some pretty bad experiences with the university of Tennessee that don't really bear going into go- into at this, uh, at this juncture. But anyway, she hates Tennessee. She oh, hates yeah. she hates Tennessee the way I hate Florida. Like it is, and you don't see that kind of juice coming out of her tiny little body frame. But like when she gets going, like she was like in rare form this weekend. She hates Tennessee. Holy crap! It was incredible. Every time they would show like the blimp shot of the of the uh, stadium, she would just like just another like beautiful, uh, just terror inducing like torrent of rage came out of her mouth, and I was so proud of her. 
that that she you know got to be there as we uh sacrificed them in her name or whatever uh, how was your <laughs> how was there how was your what was your experience like I, I know that you had sort of like your nightmare professional scenario this PR, this past week <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I did get to spend the the game with y'all, which was very nice. We had a great time. The dog came over too, and so you know, Pepper had a very calming presence. I know <laughs> uh, she tried to hang out with the cats. Didn't work out. That's okay. You know, you win some, you lose some, Pepper. But uh, I know that the 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 other dogs, the dogs who watch on the TV, did not lose some, and that was very good. But um, it was very nice. It was nice to to spend a game with y'all. Uh, I know Saturday morning went out to see uh i stopped for a work thing you know the school district that we we partner with here in clark county um which is the clark county school district for those of you keeping tabs on us um we had a table at an event they were running and so i just dropped in to go see like the the staff that was working the event and also just see other partners because it was a really big event and i ran into uh, a school counselor at one of the schools that we we work for uh or work with excuse me named Rob and Rob stopped me and we were catching up for a little while and Rob had done a, a lot of really great volunteer work with us last year and we were very thankful for Rob and uh but then he was like oh and I've also been you know and I knew exactly the words that were going to come out of his mouth next uh they were I've been listening to Chapel Bell Curve and so in those moments when that happens you know I I don't talk about the podcast I make the big dumb podcast I make uh in any professional circles because I <laughs> I don't want people to ask me how can I listen to it? Um, I'll let them come about it in their own way. That's fine with me. But Rob had found it on his own. And then we talked about it a little bit. And I was like, just trying to feel out the situation. Like, I hope this is good. I hope he likes it. And he did tell me it's very good. And, and he's like, you guys do a great job. And plus, you know, you don't say anything bad. Like the last few episodes, you were very clear about, you know, with Dan Mullen, you didn't say anything about him being a piss baby. It was just the fact that you weren't saying it you were very clear that you weren't saying it mm -hmm. even if you were saying it it would be fine because you weren't the one saying it and he went through the whole rigmarole of uh the dan mullen thing and i was like okay we're on the same team <laughs> we're on the we're on the same page here this is very good so uh but thank you thank you rob for turning that uh potentially nightmare scenario into a very positive one and i hope you enjoy the show and i hope you enjoy a little shout out here as well so uh thank you for that but let's talk a little bit about the game itself what do you say and how it went statistically speaking uh yeah so from a statistical standpoint i mean mm, yes uh, it was it was really interesting I, I normally can't get on twitter during the games because i'm doing too much stuff or just stanford has horrible reception and on tw there's often a disconnect well twitter is not real life twitter is not real life twitter is not real life but <laughs> even more so there's often a disconnect between my experiential feelings about how the game is going when I'm at the stadium. And then when I look back through my timeline, it's like just a radically different experience. The moments where we were the most worried when we were like down a touchdown, or then we were down three, it was like 10 to seven or whatever, you know, at those, at, in those moments, UGA still had a 76% when, when uh, expectancy yeah. when probability. So I, it's really like, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> at what point, it was it was a very exciting game in i think from our experiential viewpoint of like watching it in sort of like chronological time as we must experience games right but from the standpoint of like how exciting was it on the whole without the sort of like the first thing is the most important bias that we have when we consume media i don't really know i mean it only it had a game insight excitement insects of 1.43 which is not very exciting 
it was it was very boring in the second house in many ways. It was weird because it was like when you're playing with against Tennessee, you always expect to take a weird injury, so it wasn't boring. Like it was very high stress, and it was always like, well, they could come back at any time, or they could come back at any time. But it really felt like, especially going into the fourth quarter, that it was sort of like, okay, this is all over, but the shouting. I mean, you know, UGA had somewhere between like a ninety, let's see, ninety seven and ninety nine percent win expectancy all the way through the fourth quarter, right? And so. My first statistical takeaway is just like this is a very this game is a very good example of why looking at the stat looking at the stats after the fact can often be very important because a lot of the times the way we feel about the game based on our emotions having watched it and our experiences of seeing it sort of unfold before us in real time and what the stats say that was happening in the game are not similar right and. Yeah. A lot of people who were very smart about football, smarter than me about you know the technicalities and the experience of playing football, had said that coming into this game, like you know, it's going to take Georgia a, a series or two to adjust to the pace that Tennessee plays with, and you can see kind of where that adjustment ticks in, right? It's like Tennessee's third drive, about uh, I guess what would be three hundred seconds into the into game time, uh, mm-hmm. which is like. Um, that's what about five it, it minutes started to come back up five minutes into the fourth quarter or into the first quarter uh tennessee's third or coming into tennessee's third drive they had a win expectancy of i guess 22 percent uga had a 78 percent win, win expectancy and then by the end of the by getting close to the end of the fourth quarter or getting close to the middle of the first quarter uga had a 91 percent win expectancy and those 20 percentage points were basically i think the not only like UJ's offense figuring a couple of things out, but also just UJ's defense figuring out how to defend Tennessee's offense, right? And I think once we we took away a couple of key plays or we got better at defending a couple of key plays, one of them was that kind of funky inverted wide receiver screen that they were running to the outsides, which they were holding on every time they threw it. Uh, when UJ fin- figured out how to beat those blocks and beat those frankly holds and take away the early first down yards that they were getting on that play over and over again off of the uh, RPO, then they instantly were a far less effective offense, right? And regardless of whether or not of my personal opinions on that play, which I think it's like kind of bad when your offense is predicated on a play that basically forces your wide receivers to hold against every on every play, but still, uh, once we had sort of like figured out the big things that they were going to do and we'd adjusted to the pace, this is a game that really went from being very exciting to not very exciting at all pretty rapidly, right? You know, mm-hmm. and it, it bears out in the final numbers, right? UGA had a total EPA of 13.58. Uh, Tennessee had a total EPA of negative point or negative 8.86. Now, that's not some of the big blowouts that we've had this year where it's like, uh, you know, South Carolina had a negative 21%, 21 EPA, like, or whatever it was, you know. But it is, I mean, that's a significant win, right? That's a, that's a, that's a big win on the scoreboard and also an equally big win statistically. Like So, for instance, uh, defensively, uh, UJ's defense, right, uh, Tennessee ran 70 uh, plays, but UJ had a stop rate of 49%. So, basically, UJ got the stop that they needed. Stop rate is sort of almost like defensive success rate. Uh, it's kind of like that. It's basically like how often is the offense like doing what they need to do. And so, UGA got the stop that they needed on almost half of Tennessee's plays, right? And that is not the hallmark of an explosive or even functional offense, which Tennessee has been to this point this year, right? I mean, UGA had 49% successful plays uh, of EPA greater than zero. 
Um, Tennessee had 43%, 41% passing, 47% running for Tennessee. So it was, it was a game that like Tennessee was certainly more in than most of the games that we've played this year. But it was also a game where, I mean, the numbers at the end of the day tell the story, right? If you have negative 7.19 EPA uh, cumulatively on the day offensively, you're not going to win many games, right? Negative 2.76 special teams EPA. I mean, that's not that's that's a pretty I don't know emphatic win on UGA's part. But I don't know how much it felt like that for a lot of the game for UGA fans, and a lot of that has to do with our unprocessed psychological trauma. But still, I mean, I <laughs> I think this is a good example of like box scores can be therapy. Just put they that can be. put that they one really on my tombstone. Be. I mean, is there anything you're seeing? We're looking right now at our game on paper box score. Uh, if you go to gameonpaper.com forward slash CFB, you can find it there, and we'll, I'll throw the link out. Uh, in our Discord. It's very good. Very, For those very of good. us, I'll put it in the stats channel in our Discord right now. Boop. And this, uh, is there anything you're seeing here? I will here? say, so, yeah, yeah. So, so for most of these, whenever I look at the stats, like, there's a few things we can look at it. It's just like, well, that's a defensive domination. And while that is true for this game as well, there are some things that I think we should point out uh, because we have been, we have been naysayers, you know, in a sense, uh, re- with regard to our, our friend, uh, the mailman sets in Bennett and we've been we have I feel like in a way we have given in to the quote unquote QB situation to some extent. But there are some stats, I think, in this box score that are the way they are because he is such a talented game manager, which we will we are here to eat crow. I'm here to stuff foot in mouth and, and say it. today. Uh, let's so, OK, let, let's calm down. I don't know if I'm here to eat crow. I said I will say <laughs> some right, nice right. things about Stetson Bennett. We'll say some nice things. Yeah. So the the numbers that I'm I'm actually kind of uh, referencing here, for instance, under defensive if uh, defensive tackles for loss generated, for instance, like I think it goes without saying the eye test kind of shows that there were a lot of pressures in the day that that Tennessee defense was throwing as many blitzes as they could. They were breaking up the pocket as often as possible, but at the end of the day, they only had three tackles for loss generated. And two of those were passing. And those are the two sacks that, that they got for the day. The rest, Stetson cleaned up. Um, he didn't always connect with his uh, connect with his, his, you know, his targets. He didn't always get the ball where it needed to go. But a lot of our receivers cleaned up in that sense because we have so much talent on that team. But and he was able to clean up in the backfield to make it happen. And I think that is incredibly impressive. The other piece that's really, really impressive is the um, the EPA. <laughs> this is this is pretty hilarious to me. You know, we were in the preview episode talking about if this team does score, being Tennessee, if this Tennessee team does score, it's going to be through explosive plays. It's going to be something that they they throw together and have to throw it deep. They they have to bomb it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was absolutely true. What I really love about this, and this is just another testament to our team, our defense. Tennessee's EPA without explosive plays was negative 40.88, which is just incredible, uh, to say the very least. That is, uh, you know, all the all the glory to the the Georgia defensive squad. Uh, Tennessee's total EPA for the day overall was negative 8.86 and offense being negative 7.19 of that. So pretty significant difference between those two numbers, I would say, when when explosiveness is taken out of it. Uh, what else do you see in these stats that you, you kind of want to shed some light on? Anything at all? All right. Well, I think we should sort of transition into our observations because I think we need to talk about okay. Stetson Bennett. Um, okay. We'll do it. We'll do it. I know so, I jumped the gun a bit, but no, no, I no. I, 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 I think, you know, we the, these 
are sometimes pretty nebulous, these segments of our podcast. That's fine. We run this podcast. We can do what we want. So that's correct. Let's talk about the two, um, the two guys that we had play today, right? The two, I guess, opposing quarterbacks. You had Hendon Hooker, 24 for 37, 244 yards, one touchdown, one pick, five sacks, 29.6 XQBR. Hendon Hooker went for 5.81 yards per play, negative 0.2 EPA per play, negative 8.5 EPA, 38% success rate, 9%, 9 win percentage added. That's not a good day. Pretty rough day, playing a very, very good defense. So, you know, I think it's an interesting contrast to then look at uh, to then look at Stetson passing line, right? 17 for 29, 213 yards, one t- touchdown, no picks, two sacks taken, 90.1 XQBR, 6.87 yards per play, 0.1 EPA per play added. That's okay. You want to be probably more around 0.2. 3.11 EPA uh, cumulatively on the game, 42% success rate, also just okay, and 0% win percentage added. I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, Hinden Hooker had 9% more win percentage added than Stetson Bennett. Now, a lot of that has to do with how the game played out and the relative talent of these two teams. I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But here's the real difference. That's their passing yards, okay? Their passing lines. Let's look at these two quarterbacks. And I think this kind of gets into why is Stetson Bennett starting? What What is this sort of – what's the hook here for Kirby Smart? So, Hinden Hooker, 12 carries, 51 yards, zero touchdowns, zero fumbles, 4.25 yards per play negative 0.28 EPA per play, negative 3.34 EPA per play, 50% success rate when running, 2% win percentage added. Stetson Bennett, 10 carry, or sorry, six carries, 58 yards, one touchdown, 9.67 yards per play, 1.15 EPA per play added, 6.89 EPA on the day, 83% success rate, 10% win percentage added. To me, I think in one stat line, that's why Stetson Bennett is starting. Stetson Bennett gives you something with his legs. And I think that at this point in the, in the season, 10 games in, it's fair to say that that is not a fluke, right? He has gone through an entire SEC season and been good on, good on the ground, good as a scrambling quarterback in very key high leverage situations, converting third downs, converting second and third and goals, you know, get rushing for touchdowns, et cetera. I think that we can't discount that as, a value add that he brings. And I think, you know, I have things to say about him as a passing quarterback that I think he still needs to improve. But I think what yesterday did, and this is, I guess, my my biggest observation on the day, and I was going to put this in my takeaways, but hey, what, what does it mean? After this game, and I think especially if you think that James Cook is emerging as like sort of an every down all-purpose back that UJ can lean on, or at least, you know, a big part of that equation, I think I'm finally kind of seeing like what is the theory of this offense. I think I'm seeing like proof of concept for this Georgia offense in a way that I did not before. And this wasn't Georgia's best offensive game. I'm not I'm, you know, I'm sure that we could look at the EPA and, and say what was their most well-rounded uh, game, but um I think if you think about Georgia's offense through this through the standpoint of okay, we're going to throw it deep because we have a couple of good outside receivers. Uh, you know, we got Ladd McConkey, we got Jermaine Burton, we've got uh, A.D. Mitchell, right? And then we're going to run it up the middle. We have sort of a, we have a back that we trust in James Cook, who we can move around and throw the ball to and do all sorts, of, all sorts of interesting things to put stress on their linebacking core. And then we have, you know, the best tight end room in the nation, and it's not particularly close, right, with uh, Brock Bowers and Darnell <clears throat> Washington. 
who are going to really like free up stuff in the middle of the field by throwing behind linebackers. And then we have a quarterback who can be a legitimate, you know, six, eight, 10 carry a game designed run player. And then also scramble some for some first downs to me, that is a totally coherent theory of offense. I guess sort of in hindsight, one of the things that really bothered me about continuing to start Stetson was that before this game, we never really saw that happen. Now, I still think there were some things in that theory of offense that Stetson doesn't do very well. And I think the chief among them is that he doesn't throw over the middle of the field very well. He has a very nice deep ball. Mm -hmm. He can throw deep easily, but the intermediate passes between five and 20 yards, it's just not great right now. And so uh, I, I think that I'm feeling better about him starting for the rest of the year, which he probably is, because to me, that is a coherent way to run an offense, right? You have you can put stress on the offense vertically and horizontally. You have tight ends that are basically unguardable. You have a running back who seems to be like playing his best football right now and is proving that he can be an every down back, even at his size. You, you know, I think that that's, you can build a national championship team around that. I think every team yeah. that wins big at the college football level, especially teams that win the national and the sec, um, you have to have an offense that has some sort of coherent plan. And I did not, before this game, I could not see, the, and this is probably because I'm an idiot, but in before this game, I could not see what the coherent plan was, right? Like, what are we trying to do here? Like, if we're running Zamir White up that, the middle on, fair, first, yeah. on first and second down, what are we doing here? And look, the thing is, Stetson still had some bad throws. Stetson got bailed out by his, by his wide receivers several times, and there were a couple of throws that he missed touchdowns. He's not perfect. I still think we should think about starting someone else. But if you are saying the value add is we can be a consistent, you know, we can matriculate the ball down the field because we have a guy who can run. I am great. I am. I am. That is a, that is a coherent theory of offense. It is just one that we have, we have to follow through on it, right? We have to continue it and make it something I, I, for, for it to work against a better team than Tennessee, Stetson is going to have to throw across the middle, right? Like he's yeah. going, he, he, he has to complete those passives. He has to hit those intermediate shots. Um, and for that to happen in this game, I think that our O-line needs to be completely healthy. And it's yes. great that we have two, two weeks that are, are pretty inconsequential for the most part. Yeah. Um, to and, get there. And that's actually a very good way to transition out to other observations. I thought moving Xavier Truss in at guard was a great move. Uh, we did the same mm-hmm. thing late in the, I believe, 2018 or 19 season when we moved Cleveland in for Sawyer late in the season. Uh, A.D. Mitchell looking really good. Uh, we're tight into you. Nobody else can claim it. That It's us Very now. much so. Look at us. We're tight into you. Um, <laughs> I never really felt like things were in doubt. I don't know about you, but I felt like we were going to win this game the whole time. Um, all right. So I mean, I'll say it was a weird first quarter. Yeah, that's, it was. You know, it was that's yeah. the biggest thing. Um. I want to say one more thing and then I'll let you get to your observations. Let's just take a moment and appreciate our unequivocally masculine short King, James Cook. Uh, he is it's true. He is a real football player. He is Alvin Kamara. He is, I mean, he's probably not Dalvin Cook, but he is a, I think he is more of a running back than people think he is. I think there's more to him as a player. I think he's playing his best ball. And I think people who think he can't run it up the middle. Um, well, I think he, he pretty, quantitatively disproved that this weekend that guy is shifty he knows how to hit the hole he's got really great vision he can catch the ball 
and he's tougher than he looks, right? And I, I think it's time to start stop thinking him of him as like a, you know, JJ Green, Washon Ely, scat back, and start thinking of him as like just an offensive weapon, and um, no longer tiny fast boy. Yeah, uh, unequivocally masculine, short king for life. I mean, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that we it's easy to discount him. I think that he should be the starting running back in games that matter for the rest of the year. I think he's proved at this point. Yeah. Do you have any? Definitely. Oh, uh, yeah. He was just absolutely outstanding. Do you have any other observations about what happened on the field? Uh, I mean, I think we we caught most of them for the most part already. You know, I I think that this was a really great game for A.D. Mitchell. Uh, I think that he absolutely balled out. There was that one drive where the ball went to him every time and he was cleaning up for Stetson. Uh, I think he dove like three or four times, but I think he was he may have been the target four or five times in a row and caught it every time and just kind of picked our momentum back up when things felt kind of stale uh, between him and Cook. Like, I think that this was a very big like uh, I'm coming out kind of kind of game for them both. But uh, very, very impressed with our tight ends, very impressed with their wide receivers, just cleaning up and and making things happen. And yeah, I I. I was a little worried about playing such a fast offense, but I think that we definitely came out and figured it out. Uh, it turns out we're just super talented, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, our, our defense proved that it can definitely keep up with even that. It was a it was a different team than we played all season, and I think that they still came out on top. So, sky feels like the limit at this point. You know, what one thing I will say, like before we go, before we move on, is like I think one of the secret differences between this team and teams like even twenty seventeen. Uh, outside of the quarterback position when we're on offense is that we just have so much more skill talent that it might not matter. And and that's becoming mm-hmm. more and more clear as we play better and better games. It's true. Feels good, man. Feels good, man. Feels good, man. Flame me on my hot man. All right. What are we moving on to? <laughs> uh, some takeaways. What are our big takeaways, you know, from, from here on? Like, what are we hoping to see, I guess, in the next two weeks? Is it just going to be a bunch of boring football until we get to the SEC championship? Perhaps. Uh, but what what kind of what do we need to see I guess going forward now that the on the on the horizon is is Bama at this point presumably yeah I mean well first of all let's stop don't don't put any don't don't put in any starters against Charleston Southern not not just like <laughs> oh I don't care if we start Nathan Priestley like just let's get out of there as <laughs> I want to be as healthy as possible. I don't want Devonta White to, f- to see the field. I don't want Nolan Smith to f- see the field. It sounds like that the early indications are that both of those injuries are recoverable. I don't want to see anybody. If they want to play for one day, uh, one snap on senior day, that's fine. But then get them out of there. Like, let's, I, I just, we got to stay healthy. Um, you know, I think um, that going forward i just think we need to continue to see stat when he is playing which he should play against georgia tech i really need to see stat complete some balls across the middle of the field and in that intermediate zone and you know if i can see that consistently i will start to feel a lot better what about you Uh, i was just looking up what the the final uh note on nolan smith's injury was it turns out he did not um he did not dislocate his elbow. So the early reports are that uh, it may be, he may be over, he may be okay without any like serious tendon damage. Like he might just be out for a couple of weeks. 
uh, I just read mm-hmm. something on 24-7 saying that, I think, believe from Rusty Menzel, saying that he's fine uh, this year. Okay. Yeah, it was so. a bunch going on. Like, and I uh, one thing that if you weren't already aware, uh, I think they said it a bunch of the broadcast, but uh, a bunch of players were dealing with the flu. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jalen, I only laugh because Jalen Carter it, I was think out. It's just a, a silly thing. Yeah. I mean, there is a flu epidemic right now at UGA. Uh, my wife works mm-hmm. at UGA and can tell you that firsthand that it's pretty crazy. Everybody has the flu right now. Hmm. Yeah. It's a messy, messy time. Uh, for everybody involved and yeah nolan smith's back on the field yeah da, 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 da. he's fine he's okay he's just gonna rest a bit he's just gonna rest a whole bunch and that's okay that's what he needs that's what mm-hmm. we all need uh jordan davis was also dealing with the flu and, and was still very jordan davis the whole time so that's pretty cool you want to look at our predictions for this game and how they turned out yeah i would absolutely love to uh we had sort of i i continue to be on fire predicting the score and really bad at every other over-under. So, um, we first up, we had over-under 1.5 hooker in interceptions, and we both took under, and we both hit on that. He had, only had one. We had over-under 0.5 UGA turner, uh, turnovers. We had zero turnovers on the day, I believe. So, that was also I believe one that's I true. Um, we had over-under 0.5 UGA defensive scores, and we both took over because we're idiots, so neither of us won that. So <laughs> Not today. Not today. We're, uh, I guess, 2-1, and one, Nathan. And then we had over-under 13.5 Tennessee points, and I took over, you took under. Uh, probably just despite David Pollock, but he was right. They scored I did. 17 on the day. And then over-under 0.5 or 120.5 Tennessee rushing yards. We both said under. It, that definitely hit. Um, mm-hmm. I ha- I was on fire. You said 50-13. to 13. I, had four, I said 41-20. to 20. I was three points off on this prediction. Uh, I feel like that's my biggest accomplishment I've ever had in my life. Uh, not ex- excluding marrying my wife and you know graduating from college and getting a job, but outside of those <laughs> things, very very big day for me. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like we're really honing on in on how this team works at this point and what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, like my expectations going forward are just like make a good plan for, um, make a good plan for the uh, for playing Alabama, and I don't care about the rest <laughs> yeah. of it. What kind of what kind of funny little things are they going to pull out of their magic hat at the end of this season? I wonder. Yeah, like as though I'm they're as though they're Humphrey it. Mizzou on Mizzou Day. Ugh, on a, <laughs> it's now Mizzou Day. <laughs> uh, do you hear that, children? The pitter patter of Mizzou. Humphrey and Mizzou and his, and his magic hat, his little magic hat. All right, we got to stop this. Nobody else knows what the fuck <laughs> we're talking about when we talk about Humphrey Mizzou, and I feel like we just gotta either we gotta totally commit this is to our it, show, like David S. Pumpkin style, or we gotta. Um, I don't know. It's better this way. Let's yeah, get to our favorite segment of the show. It's the Ask CBC segment. Y'all ask questions, and we hopefully have answers. And if you ever want to put your question on the show, make sure that you get it to us, either through trappelbellcoverage.gmail.com or just tag us on one of the, the various uh, social media platforms that we are upon or get into our Discord. Our very first question comes from Trip Haskins through the email. Salutations. I had a question regarding the the difference (laughs) in the running game between the two quarterbacks. Much has been said about Stetson's ability to run, adding a dimension to the offense that JT does not provide. Excuse me. From the outset, this would seemingly improve the running game by adding another wrinkle in zone reads, as well as adding an additional blocker on design QB runs. From watching the games, however, it seems as if opposing defenses are more willing to walk the safeties up to the line of scrimmage and run blitz with their linebackers when Stetson is at quarterback. 
This would seemingly hurt the ability for the running backs to have successful runs inside the tackles. I was wondering if the data bears out a difference between the run game when Stetson plays compared to JT. I'll hang up and listen, and as always, if Dan Mullen was a piss baby who enjoyed peeing himself, he would definitely be wearing khakis while he did it, but who's really to say? That's correct, Trip. We are not saying that. We're not neither saying are that. You. Who's to say, Trip? We don't know. Who is yeah, to say? I, I don't have uh, a very good way of... So part of the problem is that the games that JT has played in this year were not... Uh, were either against teams that we turned out to find out were fundamentally flawed, right? Or you know, way undermanned or against teams that were very low quality, right? So that's basically the issue in like determining this. I would say that just in sort of observationally, that makes sense to me. I think that UGA, the, the way you combat this at this point is that you have to be willing to have stats and keep it on a couple more of those uh, inside zone reads and those bluff reads. Well, not bluff reading, actually having the real inside zone action there. Um, and then you can get those safeties out of position and they get kind of washed out in the scrum of the, if he's taking the ball outside. Uh, but I do think there is a little, there is an element of like, he needs to be able to Stetson's like the last hurdle for Stetson, I think is throwing over linebackers heads and in front of safeties. He's done that successfully at some points in his career. Uh, but just doing that with consistency, I think gets him a natty basically. Mm -hmm. Rand R A A N D asks which was higher the number of times rocky top was played or the number of times tennessee players held without a flag well oh you, both astronomical uh, numbers truly ut only had 70 offensive plays and even though it seemed like that they held on basically all of them i cannot imagine even on a game that they lost that ut's band played rocky top fewer than 70 times i think it's actually 84 but you're yeah you're right Although now, hold on. The the other side of this is we did beat the crap out of them. Yeah. So like, I didn't really actually hear it that many times. So I guess I'll take I'll take uncalled holds for five hundred dollars. <laughs> Christine London asks, in which game this year has Georgia come closest to showing just how good it could possibly be? What do you Ooh. think? I was just about to look back on our games real quick to see just a quick reference, just the like the soundest. I mean, I I, I feel like. The one that comes to mind immediately is Arkansas. Yeah, I think Arkansas is probably what you would point to as just everything looking, everything working like front to back. But I mean, there's an argument to made that like, well, Arkansas game got out of hand really quick and we had a kind of fluky special teams touchdown and they had all those penalties. Maybe that's not repeatable. I really think that uh, this is weird, but I actually think that to me, the, the real potential of this team we saw at Tennessee and at Auburn those were two days where a lot of stuff went wrong on the road and you had some weird injuries and you had some bad calls and maybe your offensive game plan wasn't that good, but you still showed like fundamentally who you are as a team. And you've like had that identity travel, um, good teams cover, right. And good teams cover on the road. And those were two games on the road where I believe UGA covered. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I mean, on, obviously like you could pick any game really, but to me, the mark of a team that's truly elite and can like win the whole damn thing is a team that can go in when they're having a bad day. Right. And go in yeah. when the plan doesn't work and go from there. I'll say uh, a late arrival to this question is the Florida game. Those two minutes before the halftime, <laughs> all those points we scored. <laughs> that was another just like, wow, this team's really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Steven asks, how old were you the last time Georgia was 10? Oh, I was not born. Yeah, it was 1982. 
I did not know that 1982 UGA was undefeated going into the Sugar Bowl. Or I believe Sugar Bowl to play Penn State and then lost. They were the number one team. They probably should have won a Natty that year. It's wild mm-hmm. that they lost that Penn State team. Anyway, but yeah, 1982. Yeah. I, we were negative years old. Not even a thought yet. Disney Dog asks, what Taylor Swift era is this team in? Furthermore, what about other teams in this SEC? All right, so Ooh. here's the thing. I don't know... I, I, I don't know enough about Taylor Swift to answer this question properly. I, I, I do. I listen to a lot of Taylor Swift. I was in like uh-huh. the top five percent of Taylor Swift fans on Spotify last year, but I don't know. That's impressive. Yeah, I just listen to it a lot. It's very good. I, I think Taylor Swift is an excellent songwriter, and I have a lot of thoughts about her compositionally in terms of how she layers sounds. And um, anyway, doesn't matter. I think her production value is very high. I, I'll stop. I mm-hmm. don't know enough about Taylor, like the phenomena, to tell you this question accurately. So I will just tell you based on my opinions. I feel like in terms of UJ's attitude, this is definitely like reputation Taylor, like like ready to ready to kick shit up, right? You know, but mm-hmm. reputation is not my favorite Taylor album. Uh, so, and this is like my favorite UGA team in forever. Um, but I feel like just sort I can of also attitude wise, I feel like this is reputation Taylor, where it's like doesn't give a shit about you uh is like hasn't been hasn't ever really been very mean but it's like now i'm gonna be mean and is like weirdly good at it you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh lover i think is my favorite taylor album i know that's probably a bad opinion uh, <laughs> i just i really love it i love every every single damn song on that album i think it's just i think it's straight heaters all the way down um <laughs> i think i love her i think lover is like is like just vintage like nine pitch inning at the end of a tight baseball game from like an from like a really dominant closer it's just like it's like 10 99 mile an hour fastballs uh like painting the corners that's that's i love lover so that would probably be my uh i really do like lover as well yeah the song lover in particular i think is just like a really i think it's an excellent tone poem um Mm -hmm. anyway so but yes i would say attitude i did I did find this this lovely list I just wanted to throw at you that kind of gives you a quick quip for each era uh, that could have helped. Uh, okay. There's a few we haven't really hit. So let me let me hit you with the ones that you haven't actually hit. You ready? Yeah. So I will say do 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 the red era the not the re-releasing area because I think you know this list at least defines the re-releasing era that we're currently in as its own thing and then the original red era says it saw taylor shifting into a more mature experimental style is there anyone that resonates with that description um any sec team maybe that's like Mm -hmm. maybe that's like alabama (laughs) they're just in like a different Mm -hmm. um yeah they're trying something new playing the field the other one is the the 1989 era established taylor as a global pop phenomenon uh a global pop phenomena to me that yes. to me that that that's like some real Tennessee energy. It's like a like just bubblegum, like just their offense is like pop. They have a pop offense, you know. Just very different, very like and popular. Folklore and Evermore had the you know, embracing the cottage core aesthetic is what this list says. <laughs> uh cottage core aesthetic. To me that feels like I don't I can't back this up, but I feel like that feels like Kentucky. I feel like okay. That, I mean, they're up there in the Kentucky mountains. Kentucky is kind of cottage core to me, and I don't know why. Maybe it's and then the, finally, it's the, the re-recording pattern. era. 
Okay, the re-recording yeah, era. Yeah, it's a checkerboard. Yeah. The re-recording era. Taylor has power that most don't, and her very personal fight to reshape the way wealth is distributed from creative work could change the music industry, is what it's described as. I don't know, man. Maybe Georgia? <laughs> uh, it's just NIL in general. Yeah, yeah. Or it's it's like... It's like... I, I'll, t- I'll say this. Mike Leach thinks he's the re-recording era, but he's not. There it is. Okay, that's fair. I like it. <laughs> uh, okay, that we spent enough time talking about Taylor Swift on our football podcast. Um, Ined Vidic asks, what will it take for the playoff structure to expand? I assume it will happen eventually. So when do you think it will happen? And how long will it take once the wheels start moving? Also, as the number one team, would an expanded playoff work against us? Uh, well, to kind of answer them out of order, no, it wouldn't because most of the expanded playoff designs that I've seen have a buy for the top two teams. So we would be playing the same amount of games. And honestly, it might work for us because other teams would have had to play more games, right? Um, uh, what is it going to take to expand? I mean, basically, you have a bunch of different stakeholders at a, I hate that word, at a table, and they all have different things that they want, right? And what's that? I mean, it's all over but the shouting. What it's going to take is like another year of negotiating. It's happening. That it's it's happening. Mm-hmm. There's too much money on the table. It's going to happen. I think it probably will come around like 2024-ish. But it is happening. Steven asks, all right, so <laughs> with Georgia having the East locked up and FPI giving us a 57% chance of making the playoff, even with a loss in the SEC championship game, is it too early to talk playoffs? What's your dream final four? Well, my dream final four Who's is your dream date. Any three teams that are not Alabama, because that would mean that uh, that would mean that Alabama had lost to us. So, yeah, that would be nice. But I would say. Mm. I just want to point out that I also let me let's pause and I want to say one more thing about Taylor Swift. Swift was that 1989 <laughs> was I think 1989 is her best album, but Lover is my favorite song. So I also I always have like a soft spot in my heart for Lover because Lover makes me think about my wife. So yeah, what's your dream title for? It's uh, oh man, I would love to not have to play Ohio State, man. If it was like Michigan, yeah, C- I do. Not, I do not want us to play Michigan, Ohio State. Michigan, Cincinnati, Oregon. Like, I want to win. I don't care. People are like, I want to play the best team. Fuck that, man. I want the ring. Like, let's get out of here. <laughs> if we could play Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, and you know, Sister Mary School for the Poor, or whatever, in the in the playoff, and they gave us the ring and the trophy, I wouldn't care. I think there's there's a very good chance we play Ohio State in the championship if we do uh, make it through the SEC championship. I think there's a very good chance that that is where we we're headed. I don't want uh, Justin. That is if we don't play them in the first round, which I, I do know. not believe. I we really are. don't want that now. Yeah, that's like yeah. a nightmare. That one four game, Ohio sneaks in with the one in the one four game. That's I'd hate that. Anyway, yeah. What is most likely going to happen if we beat Alabama? I think we see it's a Georgia, Ohio State. Whoever the hell sneaks in if Pac-12 doesn't win. Oregon. Uh, and then Cincinnati. Yeah. I do want Cincinnati to be there. I want them to be there. Bring them. Let them come. Yeah, they're talking. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of shit talking Cincinnati fans online right now, which that would be nice. Yeah. If we beat, this is the thing. If we beat Alabama, we might be playing Cincinnati in the first round. We won't be playing them in the national championship. That would be wild. But I think we could be playing them in the first round if we went out through the playoffs. Yeah. Eric Russell asks, what are your thoughts on protecting stats versus star players? Uh, well, look, 
obviously this is in reference to the fact that we had the first team in. We had a lot of the first team defense in on that last drive that where they scored the 17th point. I get it as uh, you know, as a motivational tactic. I get that it's good that you've created a culture where your team wants to have be in at the end of basically meaningless snaps. So I don't think that it's one of those things where it's like you have to pull everybody. You have to pull everybody. I get that. Um, it's clearly important to the team, and you can't that seems to be something that is what makes this team special. That's a part of what makes this team special is that they're the kind of team that doesn't want to give up 17 points, right? Even when they're up, you know, 30 at that point or whatever. So on the one hand, I don't think you can totally discount the idea because I think there is something to, you want to lean in and you want to encourage the thing that makes each of your team special to continue to be special. But on the other hand, it's like, come on, guys, like, like Tennessee is cursed. And I know part of it, I mean, I, I know Kirby would never ever say this, but Kirby did go 0 and 4 against Tennessee as a um one of the best things about Kirby is that like he has a like sort of Michael Jordan-ness to him where it's like Dan Mullen said like three things about Georgia and Kirby was like, and I took that personally. And I feel like there's a little <laughs> bit of that in Kirby. I'm not saying that that makes him like a bad coach or a bad decision maker, but I think that there is part of it where like Kirby don't like Tennessee, man. Like he just don't. Like nope. that's that's part of it. Uh and he really doesn't like the fact that he lost like a dumb game on a, on a Hail Mary to them. And so I, I get it, but yeah, I would have probably taken out a lot of the starters on that drive. Yeah. Nick J asks, where does Georgia prefer to play at semifinals game? Is there a disadvantage to either site or does it not matter? Where are they playing? First of all, where are the, the sites? Uh, uh, Miami or Dallas. So I've talked to some people about this that I know that would know. Mm-hmm. Let me rephrase that were privy to the discussion when we went to, the Rose Bowl, and I could be wrong here, but what I have heard is, so this is not me reporting, this is just like what I've heard is the team that is the higher seed picks, right? And okay. uh, the high, the highest two seeds pick. So for instance, Oklahoma really wanted to go to the Rose Bowl because they knew that it would make it harder for Georgia fans to travel and that they would have an advantage in terms of like, you know, uh, body clock, basically. Uh, so I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a similar... Um, I think it's going to be a similar situation with UGA. It just depends on who they play. So, for instance, like, this isn't going to happen now because Oklahoma lost to Baylor. But if UGA was one and Oklahoma was four, there's no way in hell that they're going to play at Dallas because that would be like a glorified home game for Oklahoma, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If UGA is playing, you know, a team from the Central or Pacific time zone, if they're playing Oregon, they're definitely going to do Miami, right? Because Miami is in your time zone, right? And it's farther away from Oregon. Right? So you know you're going to have more of a home field advantage if you do that. I think it really depends on who we play. If you told me we're going to play Cincinnati, I don't know. I mean, I've heard that people like Dallas, but I don't know to what extent we can trust that. Uh, assuming UGA is the number one seed, which you know could be true, could be not, I really think it would just depend on who they were going to play, where they would go. Mm-hmm. Kirby didn't want to play in the Rose Bowl. Like, not, not as like a person he probably wanted to play, but like in terms of just the logistics of getting to and from the Rose bowl and having to like adjust the everybody's body clock and sleep schedule on like a six day turnaround to play the national championship. He hated that. Right. So that's a lot of what's going to go into the decision-making. Next question. Keith Schroeder. Why did Kirby keep defensive starters and during garbage time and the risk for injury during that game was really high? Well, okay. So yeah, I, I would point out that none of the injuries that were sustained really had anything to do with the turf. Right. I don't know that the risk mm-hmm. of in- injuries was either higher or lower for starters 
than any other game at that point, really, right? I, I, I would have pulled more of them. I understand his logic, but I think what he was thinking is, you know, at this point in the season, 10 games into what could be a 15-game season, morale matters a lot. And if you if your guys want to play for pride, that that really means something. I don't really think that's the case, but that's, I think, would be his logic. Yeah. I also think that, I know we talked a lot about the turf and there's like a lot of folks that have said, you know, and confirmed that the turf is bad. Um, but also everyone's playing with the damn flu. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that I probably had something to do with it and not having like complete yeah, 100% you, you use have, of all of your faculties. You didn't really and have your old, tw- well, you didn't have your all 22 either, right? Like if, yeah. if some of the guys that were out with the flu, that were sick with the flu, and I've heard that there were way more kids sick with the flu than he, Kirby let on. You might not have been able to put your second team defense out there and feel really comfortable with it mm-hmm. at all. Uh, Double Dog with another email question. Dear kind sirs, thank you so much for using the proper salutations. On rewatching the Mizu game, there is a lovely goal line play where Jordan Davis is on the offense. Uh, has this been happening all season or is Kirby trying to prepare him for more real for Heisman contention? Should we expect to see more of this throughout the season? To be honest, I'm here for more JD in any capacity. Kindest regards, Double Dog. Uh, it's happened three times this year. I believe it happened Florida, Missouri, and I want to say Arkansas. Uh, so I think it's, you know, that's just part of their goal line package at this point. I don't know that it's really a Heisman thing. I think that Jordan Davis is just the best player on the team, and Kirby knows that. Last question of the segment. Jared Campbell asks, Nathan's ranking of his most hated teams in the SEC and one bullet point as to why. Well, Florida is number one because uh, I'll try to keep these bullet points short. I feel like that the hypocrisy of Tim Tebow is going to leave a permanent stain on that program for me. Uh, I would say number two is Tennessee because I lived in Knoxville for a while and there are a lot of beautiful people and it's a beautiful place, but I hate that organization. I hate that university. I hate their, their low down, their snitches, they cheat and they dirty. I hate them. <laughs> uh, number three, it's kind of just a morass of all the other teams. Um, it's probably Auburn. Uh, I, I have had really good experiences with some Auburn fans and then some Auburn fans just act like just total jackasses. Uh, so Auburn's Auburn's sort of, I don't know, like just their holier than now Bible school bullshit kind of throws me off, right? <laughs> Organizationally. Uh, number four. Hmm. Is this SEC only? I guess I can't include Georgia Tech. In yes, that. it is. Okay. Uh, it's so funny. I have so much hatred that, like, I, I that I put in very specific places. Uh, I'm not, I'm not totally over hating South Carolina. Um, now we'll put we'll put four in for Alabama. They're not in the co- they're not on our side of the thing, but obviously they've been the impediment, and I hate them. Uh, I don't hate Nick Saban the way a lot of Georgia fans do, but I hate I hate Alabama. I hate their pretension. I hate their sort of like. <laughs> I hate their just winning on we that they have where they expect to win every time. I, I hate them. I, I think there's a lot of like Duke slash Alabama slash Dallas Cowboys fans slash Lakers fans or whatever. And uh, I hate them. Uh, let's see. Five, we'll say South Carolina because anything that Steve Spurrier touches, I hate too. So there we go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay. So. Before we get to our final segment of the show, we do have a little Patreon segment, which is this one came in from Abby and her lovely husband, uh, Ben, or Captain Falcon, as he's known colloquially um, here on the Discord server. 
but they have a question for us. What Monster Heart skins are the SEC teams? And what this means to those unaware, Monster Hearts is, uh, this was brought up in the Discord about a week ago because in February of 2020, Nathan, myself, our friend Peter, and both of our wives all sat down and played what we thought was going to be a fun off-season series of episodes where we role-played using a game called Monster Hearts, and it all took place at the University of Georgia. Uh, We were various made-up football players and uh, adjacent people. And there's a, I mean, we still have the recording. There's a chance it might come out. But at the time, it felt like a really bad idea to release that as everything in the world was shutting down. And so uh, it exists. It's kind of like the the Vault of Secrets, the Chapel Bell Curve Vault of Secrets. <laughs> and one day we'll open the vault along with all of the other things that are hidden in the vault as well. There are some uh, really great interviews, one with uh, Jim Wood, where I interviewed Jim Wood a while back. And so maybe you'll we're see gonna this. Ha- we're going to have to post to the question itself. We're going to have to post the Monster Hearts thing at some point it's gonna have to happen yeah you guys will hear it don't worry uh yeah so we we took a moment right before the show started to go through all of these and we'll we'll explain a little bit of um who they are and and what they do but the i'll I'll go through a few of them and then i'll let you go through a few of them as well nathan how's that sound yeah yes yes he is nodding he is nodding on this audio medium we're ready for it so these are all characters or, or roles you could play in this game is kind of what, what this is. Like when the game starts, you open up the, the rule book essentially and you choose what character you're going to be and that determines well, what you're going to do. You want to talk about like the and things like that. Uh, of the sure. Game. Yeah. Monster yeah. Hearts. Monster Hearts is like if, um, if everybody was a monster, but also a teenager, which is basically so if everyone is a teenager um, and it's, it's just hormone ridden and. Um, monster filled and it's very dark and each character actually has what's called a sex move as well because that is you know how you would interact in those moments is kind of how they're trying to uh you know they're trying to provide the context and the guidance there in those situations determined by your monster role is is sort of what the game is is there anything i'm missing in that description no it's uh tonally i would say it's like cw uh, teen drama yes. like you're not a bad person because you're a vampire you're a bad person because you're 18 or 17 or whatever <laughs> it's important these are all important distinctions so we'll go through a few of these the the first one i have on the list is the fae which is a sort of fairy-like creature that lives in like a, a, a realm adjacent to ours um, some some notes about the fae they uh, they value promises above all things. They're the sort of creature that would also like trick you into a promise and then trick you into breaking your promise so that they can then uh, keep you forever or whatever they agreed upon was the consequence for breaking your promise. Uh, they value beauty above all things. They're incredibly hedonistic. Uh, I chose LSU to be the fae. Uh, the next one's the ghost. The ghost is, Just of course, the, invisible. It's the hedonism. The perfect hedonism, ghost. Right? The, he- <laughs> the hedonism is really what yeah. did LSU in for that one. Um, the ghost is invisible. The very like the way that that translates in this game is that they are also somewhat voyeuristic as well. Um, so they're always kind of on the outside looking in. And we said that's Vanderbilt. Uh, what do you got? Uh, let's see. <laughs> the ghoul. Uh, they are dead and they're sort of like a zombie-ish. Uh, All their joy is gone, but they're beautiful in their new body. There's something like sort of uh, divinely sort of fey beauty, beauty to them. And there's a deep deep hunger within them, like a hole that they can't fill, no matter what they do. And that's Georgia. Um, they, mm-hmm. That's just the trauma, the psychological trauma machine that is Georgia and UGA sports. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Incredible. And then we've um, got the Infernal. Uh, they have a contract with the Dark Power. They're like trying to get out of making the Dark Power can like make them do horrible things, and they have to make contracts with other people with the Dark Power to get out of their contract. And that's Alabama and Nick Saman, if I've ever heard of it. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. All right. What do you got? We also, so we have the Mortal, which is essentially like your Buffy. No, it's less Buffy because Buffy's kind of a badass. It's more like Bella from Twilight. Yeah. Uh, codependency is like written into this character. They're they're all through and through just a human, but is also aware of the monster world and very much wants to be a part of it in some way. That's that's Texas A and M for us. Uh, the next character is the Queen, which is all basically like Queen Bee, very like Mean Girl mind control. Uh, I think that's Florida, and that's how they've got their twenty quarterbacks essentially. <laughs> what, what do you have? <laughs> their twenty quarterbacks are just their their mind control. Yeah, so the vampire mm-hmm. is sexy, distant, sort of like torn between the their old world and this world of like horrible excess and the undead. So we said Ole Miss, you know, sexy quarterback, mm-hmm. but dead defense. Um, let's see. The <laughs> werewolf, sort of chaotic, like uh, like talking about the div- the sort of the, the thin line between uh, the man and the beast and the, just the chaos of it. That's Auburn, right? You know, the full moon mm-hmm. is like... Odd year Auburn, even year Auburn. That's the the waxing and waning of the full moon. Uh, anything else? What what oh, yeah. else we got? We got the witch. Which the witches? Uh, which the witch? Uh, <laughs> ah. The witch's moves are all dependent on taking what's called like sympathetic tokens, which are basically like taking something at the detriment of others in order to to fulfill their. Um, they're like dark contracts and, and fulfill the, the requirements for their moves. Uh, that is Tennessee. Tennessee is de- definitely like taking sympathetic tokens every time that someone gets injured in Neyland Stadium, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera. Um, there's the Chosen, which this is the actual Buffy. It's like the main character of the story. Uh, the Chosen for this one. But you put South Carolina. Could you explain the South Carolina bit? Well, because the Buffy, uh, the Chosen is like just a regular human that just like uh, improbably kills monsters all the time and south carolina is like the unranked not bull bound team that is just going to upset like a top 10 team every year mm-hmm. you want to roll us i think the rest of these are actually ones that you chose you want to roll us through real quick yeah so um we've got the serp or the serpentine a dragon that holds like the hordes a person like they have a dragon's horde and part of their dragon's horde is a person that they're obsessed with and right now that's oklahoma and lincoln riley uh the cerberus is like the dog that guards the divide between the magical world and the real world and we said that's kentucky <laughs> because it's like basketball and not basketball uh the sasquatch is like an endangered species species that's being hunted and they're hiding away you know they're kind of bullied by default uh, and that's missouri sorry missouri um <laughs> <laughs> sorry bud the neighbor is like the awkward mortal character that doesn't know what's going on and always says the wrong thing. And to us, that sounded like Mississippi State and Mike Leach. Um, mm-hmm. I think actually Brovoba might have suggested that one or somebody, maybe Eric Russell. Uh, the, Selksy, the Selkie is a seal that is like lost, can lose its seal skin, basic, or is like a, basically a seal in a magical cloak. And if it loses it, it becomes a seal again. It's like a stranger in a strange land, doesn't really know how to adjust to life on the land. So that's Texas. Uh, let's see. The heir is like the seventh child of a family where one of the parents is the seventh child, the seventh child of a seventh child. And they have like this like Mm -hmm. weird cursed existence where they have to fight their siblings. And like, they're sort of like constantly in conflict with their weird family and like, just like really backwater sometimes in some ways. So that's Arkansas to us. So yeah, there we go. 
we're happy to have <laughs> our patron segment on here because Ben and Abby have been such great supporters of the podcast. And if you'd like to get one on here as well, you could go over to patreon.com forward slash Joppa Bell Curve. Yeah, get more information, why don't you? And our final yeah. segment of the show is, of course, our Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner. It's presented by Cheerwine. It's, a, it's the wine that gives you diabetes. Very first question, not even a question. He just says trash poem. Yeah, so he wants to, I'm going to read The Trashman by Charles Bukowski, which I don't even really like this poem, but I like Charles Bukowski. This is not one of my favorites of his. But anyway, here they come. These guys, gray truck, radio playing. <laughs> They're in a hurry. It's quite exciting. Shirt open, bellies hanging out. They run out the trash bins, roll them up to the forklift, and then the truck grinds it upward with far too much sound. They had to fill it out, out application forms to get these jobs. They're paying for homes and drive late model, car, late model cars. They get drunk on Saturday night. Now in Los Angeles sunshine, they run back and forth with the trash bins. All that trash goes somewhere, and they shout to each other. Then they are all up in the truck, driving west towards the sea. None of them know I, that I am alive. And then in all caps, Rex Disposal Company. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> The trash man. Belly's hanging out. <laughs> getting drunk on a Saturday night. Yeah. Get it, y'all. Uh, second question. Least favorite college football player ever. Oh, man. I don't like to pick on player. It's Tim Tebow. Whatever. What am I saying? <laughs> I was about to say, you're about to say, you know exactly who your, your least favorite player is. Yeah, Tim I, Tebow's I don't want to pick on, I don't want to pick also... on a current player, is what I'm saying. Like, you know. No, no, no. Um, Manti Teo is okay. one of my least All favorite right. football players at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cam Newton, not a big fan. But that's all. Uh, has CBCR squared accounted for mean, median, and mode to correct its error factor? Yes. This is such a troll. <laughs> such Mitochondria a troll. is a powerhouse to sell. Yeah, really. Rank the Transformers movies from best to worst, then from most robot to least robot. What? Is that most like how much robot is in the movie? I don't know. How many Transformers movies even are there? I haven't seen any of these. Hold on, hold please. Okay, so there's Transformers one, Transformers two. Then apparently there's three, four, five. There was a Bumblebee movie, and there's another one coming out in 2023. There are six Transformers movies in the modern era. Jeez. Uh, Here's a troll for you. Uh, I say one through, one through seven in that order. Boom, done. Yeah, probably that's the case. Yeah. I've heard Bumblebee is <laughs> actually Bumblebee pretty good. Had, but it had the least robot, probably. It's named after one robot. Right, yeah. It's got the least robot in it. So that's obviously least robot. To most robot, probably somewhere in the middle. Like, they had to peak at some point, I bet. So yeah, three it's or four like probably three or four, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited. Apparently, the next one coming out is Transformers Rise of the Beasts. And we all know Beast Wars was the best era for Transformers. Just putting that out there. Rat Trap fan for life. Number five. If the run game didn't develop like it did, do we see JT Daniels during the game? Uh, maybe. I think you have to be down like 17 before you think about a change. Or or maybe if we were down 10, then you might. Um, you might If you were down 10, but the seven that they got was from a pick six, you know? Um, that would there be. was a point in the game where I was sitting next to you on the couch and you said, this is his last drive. This is yeah, it. This is his I, last drive. <laughs> I well, he kept on. He kept on doing this thing where he, he would kept have on, like two bad plays, yeah. and then he would run out of it and be like, "Well, all right, mm-hmm. I guess you know." At this point, I it's one of those things fine. where you can't, um, you can't take him out until he does something really stupid, and he hasn't. Um, 
at this point. But I, I, yeah. I guess my fundamental problem is I worry that he's going to. Mm-hmm. And final question is Dan Mullins QB putting up six TDs, make him the unquestionable QB whisperer. Absolutely. So I think he should have a permanent contract. His contract should be yep. for like 30 years. Make him AD. Keep him forever. He's in charge now. He's the boss. Mm-hmm. Be your own girl boss, mm-hmm. Dan Mullen. Be your own girl boss. You want to see us out? Yeah. That's a, that's a show. That is the show. Great to have you all here. It. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us right. on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. Uh, if, you t- if you enjoyed today's episode in particular, we'd love a li- you to leave us a rating and a review on Spotify or Apple uh-huh, Podcasts uh-huh. or wherever you want to on the Park Hall bathroom wall, graffiti style. But we will catch <laughs> you this weekend. It. Yeah, we probably won't find it, but you know, you could do it. We'll catch you this weekend in the Classic City for the last time this year. Uh, but until oh, then, yeah. until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>